Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on his staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for that, Kemi. Thank you for... Uh, the two previous readers, really I'm preaching from all of those combined, and thank you for coming, especially if you're here for the first time. We really will, uh, w- want to welcome you to City Church. It's a Good Friday service. Um, unfortunately, Good Friday, having services on Good Friday has become something that people kind of think, well, ah, it's Friday, another holiday, let's sleep. Especially if you were caught in traffic for whatever nonsense reason yesterday, but we're not getting into that. But you're welcome. Um, my name is Femi, and I, I am a pastor in City Church. And I again want to welcome you to our Good Friday service, where we are really reflecting on the death of Jesus Christ. For many of us who are Christians, we know that in somewhat passing, and you know, sometimes, as we say, familiarity breeds contempt. And it's important to go over the things that we know again and again, but in a deeper sense than probably we've appreciated them. And that's what this service is about. Let me start with um, something uh, some of us will be familiar with, depending on our age. But I don't know whether some who are younger would appreciate this. But I remember um, this was early in my life in secondary school. I, I went to my first secondary school was in the University of Lagos Secondary School. We just called it ISL. Right? And there was um, this JS1. And I'd, a certain moment, some people were talking with each other. There was a lady, she was talking, not a lady, sorry. There was a girl that was talking with another girl. And when the one, that one was looking for something, she was looking for something, and so she asked the girl, said, ah, do you have it? She asked the one guy there, he said, do you have it? And he said, he didn't have it. Then the other one asked, do you have it? No. Then it now came to this girl and said, do you have my, I can't remember whether it was a pencil case or something. Let's say it was a pencil case. Do you have my pencil case? And that one then said, I didn't have it. To which somebody then shouted, Chai, Ibo! Everybody bend down for the arrow. Okay, well, well. And then what then happened was that immediately everyone in the class who either knew what happened or not went under the desk and that girl was just standing. She had thrown 
arrows and bullets into the grammatical stratosphere. And you, if you are hit by it, so the legend goes, you may be infected. And so we all had to take cover. Being mocked at is something that some of us, I hope, not all of us, but a lot of us would have experienced. Maybe it was not your spoken English, but another social gaffe. Maybe it was that morning that you had to rush out of the bathroom because you were late, got out, quickly put on your clothes, went in, it was a sunny day, and you forgot to use your deodorant and your body spray, and you still had to go for an evening function, and you started wondering why everybody was moving away from you until someone called you aside. Or maybe it could be that, you know, times are hard. But a woman must still look like a woman. A girl's got to do her thing. So normally you would like to shop. Maybe Kemi always brought you shoes when Kemi traveled. And, but now you can't afford Kemi shoes. You just can't. You can't travel. You can't afford Kemi shoes. So this time you had to buy high heels for this event at a bend down store. And so you are walking that day, walking, walking, and as you are walking down the street and you are going to that place, you, you felt it coming. You felt you were shaking. You felt it coming, and pa, the thing snapped, and you are. Or sometimes it's actually worse. We are mocked for things that we can't, we have no control over. It could be physical, a physical impediment. You have a scar a very obvious scar because of a surgery. It could be that, try as you may, you cannot stop the stutter that you have. Or in our context in Africa, which is a very horrible thing, maybe because you were born as an albino. Being mocked at, especially um, for being found in an embarrassing situation or something that you cannot help is a very difficult thing. In fact, to be mocked at, if you want the definition, is to be singled out for ridicule for being in an unfortunate situation. How many of us know what I'm talking about? How many of us? Well, may have been your wedding day. You know why some of us dread our wedding day? Not because we're not getting married to the person we love. There's no, there's no problem. It is because in this day and age, without any control of yours that you have, they set up a reception. And at the reception, you are forced from the very beginning of the reception to dance all the way. To, and it always seems like it's so far. It's like at the other end of the world, right, isn't it? If you, if you don't know how to dance. You put it right there. Everybody, Femi da. Femi dance. Femi da and then it's even worse if your wife, if Tunu knows how to dance. <laughs> and she is not ready. You don't want to go. And she goes forward and then she goes back again. <laughs> and you know everything is going to be caught on camera. So everything that is happening there is going to be replayed over and over. That's why if you go to their house, Femi never plays the video of their <laughs> wedding. But as I said, there are worse dimensions to this. It could be that you are mocked at because of your knobby knees, or what we call K-legs. 
You see, Jesus, in the passage that we just, or the passages brought together that we read, from Matthew 27 to 37, our first reading, and then verses 38 to 44, our second reading, we can see that on the way to the cross and being crucified in the third, our passion reading, which was just now from 30, 45 to 51, in those first two readings, Jesus knew a thing or two about being mocked. Now, how he behaved and why he behaved in that way will teach us how we should respond, but more importantly, will teach us what is very central about the Christian faith, what the Christian faith is all about. Now, I think we can get much understanding of all of this in examining two things about this mocked king, as we titled the message. Two things. Why the mockers were wrong and why the mockers were right. Why the mockers were wrong and why the mockers were right. Now, the thing about mocking is not even only when you suffer it personally, but sometimes we are embarrassed by mockery. We hate mockery when it is it's happening to someone that we feel represents us. There are many people who don't want their parents to come to their school because you've heard that other person's parent who studied abroad speaking their English, and you know that your parents traded their way out from Abba to send you to that school. You are very happy you are in that school. You are happy with the card that they used to come and bring you. But when your parents come to school, you would like to say, Mommy, please keep quiet. Because you feel that if people start to mock her, they are mocking you. Why? Because she's serving as a representative of you. I would say quite wrongly, in, um, between 2010 and, I think, 10 and 2015, we all knew what that was. And there were a lot of cruel jokes that were told about our former first lady. A lot of, now we have memes and um, what's the other thing? You know, those anytime you have uh, somebody says a stupid thing, there's a video, the next thing, hey, Chai! There is God. But many of us, we could mock on the inside. There's no problem. But you can imagine if a foreigner now came and mocked us on that regard. We would like it because you feel. In, the for, in a conversation with a foreigner, that person represents you. And so the person being mocked and the reason for mockery, for the mockery, are two very important things. Now, in this passage, Jesus' people, who we can call the Jews, in the passages that we read, the Jews, if you want a bit of the historical context, the Jews would you can call the Israelites as well. They were a distinct nation, but they did not have another Jew ruling over them. They were not um, an independent nation. So it's like Nigeria, why we celebrate what we call independence, is because in independence, we now had the right to choose who our own leader was. Our leader was not a queen thousands of miles away. Now, the Jews were under this Roman Empire, where the real ruler was an emperor in Rome. So though they were in their own land, they were under the rule of the Roman empires. And that is why you see these Roman soldiers in verse 27 there. You have a governor, a governor who was a Roman, who was meant to rule over them instead of Caesar, in Caesar's stead. And you see this company of soldiers. Now what has happened before, if you read, verses, uh, if you read the previous chapter, verse 26, like 65, 66, we see that he has been falsely accused by his own people 
for blasphemy. Verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all responded, he is worthy of death. So his own people falsely accused him of blasphemy. They wanted him to die. And then they exchanged him, if you look up in this chapter, verse 27, from 16 to 17 and 20 to 23, they exchanged him for a well-known prisoner called Barabbas, verse 16. At the time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ, verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to have Jesus executed, verse 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they said, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Imagine if somebody said, here I have this prisoner, Mother Teresa, and here I have this prisoner, Shinorambu. And everybody's saying, give us Shinorambu. That's exactly what you have, except Mother Teresa was not totally innocent. The, the gap between her and Shinarambo and the gap between Jesus and Jesus Barabbas was infinitely greater. So it's in this context that we find four groups of people mocking Jesus. The first group are Romans. The, th the last three groups are all Jews. Now with the Romans, as we look um, in... Uh, um, um, Verse 20, uh, chapter, verse 28, 27 to, uh, 20, 27 to verse 31, with the Romans, they would have found the claim that Jesus was Israel's Messiah, and therefore Israel's king, Messiah, basically was this. That, you remember I said that the Jews were under Roman occupation. They were under an empire. They didn't like it. Just like Nigerians did not like being under the rule of the British. Nobody likes being ruled by other foreigners. Am I, am, am I right? So, but throughout, they knew why this had happened to them. The Israelites, and if you read the whole of the Old Testament, they had sinned against their God over and over and over again. He won them over and over and over again. And so eventually, he cut off their monarchy. So it was because of their sin. But the same prophets that had warned them through, that God had warned them through, that they would go into exile and they would eventually be under some other people, they returned back to their land, had also promised them that they will eventually be saved, and that will come through a king that they eventually call the Messiah. So Messiah is what we call Christ. Christ is not his surname. I'm sure you know that, right? It's his title. Christ is in Greek. Messiah is Hebrew. So there's going to be this Messiah, this king, that is going to come and deliver them. So think about it. If you're on the occupation, and these people have a lot of soldiers, and you're under that rule, and the soldiers are there to enforce the rule. And you hear there's going to be a king that is going to save you. What do you think that king is going to be like? He's going to be a warrior. He's going to be some kind of general. And so what they were thinking was, there's going to be this general that's going to come and deliver us from 
the rule of the Romans. And obviously, this kind of news would have been swelling around. Some of the Roman soldiers would have heard of it. And so when they're saying, Hail, King of the Jews, in verse 29, Hail, King of the Jews. Notice what they did. They first put a scarlet robe on him, verse 28. They then said, okay, you know, the scarlet robe as a king, we need to give him a crown, a crown that's befitting of a king. So they go, not a crown of gold, but they take thorns and craft it together and they put it on his head. And oh, obviously he needs a scepter because every king needs a golden scepter. And they take a staff and they give it to him. And then they knelt down. Were they really worshipping him? No, they were ridiculing him. What they were trying to do is to the Jews, look at your king. The way they say, hail Caesar or Ave Caesar, they were now saying, Ave, king of the Jews. They were mocking him. And you know, they were really mocking him. They didn't care for him because in verse 30, it says, they spit on him. In those days, just like now, if someone spits on you, how do you feel about it? In those days, the worst thing that anybody could do to you, apart from violently attacking you, is to spit on you. And if you were a Jew, it was doubly worse when a Gentile, that is a non-Jew, spat on you. You felt unclean. They mocked him, verse 31, took his robe and put his own, their, his own clothes on him and led him to crucify him. The Romans could not, look, crucifixion was so bad and frowned upon in the Roman Empire I mean, there are other ways of executing people, but crucifixion was the lowest of lows. A Roman citizen, no matter what he did, was never allowed to be crucified. That's the first group. The second group, now we're into the Jews, but there are three of the Jews. The second group are the Jewish passers-by. The Jewish passers-by, and we see them in verse 39 to 40. Verse 39 to 40. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. You see, another name for the Messiah was the son of God. Not son of God like God that they worship gave birth, you know, to the person. But son of God in that the king of the Jews, in his ascension to the throne, becomes the son of God. In fact, Caesar was seen, the person who became emperor, Caesar, was seen as the son of God, as the son of Julius Caesar, who at this point had become a god. So the Jews as well are saying, really, with all your mouth, you are going to destroy the temple, because he said that, and that he will raise it up in three days. Really? Which temple? Have you forgotten about that? Because he is put on the pole outside, and they're just passing and most of the time when they crucified people like that, they were putting them on the pole there for you to see them as an example. And really, the crucifixion, when they did it, it wasn't for the person to die immediately. Most people did not die. It took them days to die. In fact, sometimes when they put vinegar and put uh, gall together and give it to you, it's so that it will relieve your pain, so that you won't die immediately. And eventually, the person is unable to move so much, so he's trying to gasp for breath, because as we... As we move, like, as our lungs move, our lungs are able to, um, to pump because we're able to move. But once you have been suffered, you cannot move because they tie you or they, or they nail you. Once you can't move, you're always trying to move up. Eventually, once you have no strength, you die of suffocation. But they were mocking him. 
You see, the Jews understood, if the Romans understood that crucifixion was a way of ridiculing somebody and putting shame to the person, the Jews understood that, but the Jews also saw it as someone who God was cursing. And there was another group, if those were the Jewish pastors by, the normal people, law-abiding people of the land, thank God I'm not like that person being crucified. They're telling their children, are you looking? Are you looking? Don't be following bad gang. As my mom used to tell me those days. Mama, this is what could happen to you. And you'll be making false, uh, yeah, huge claims. But then, if those were the people, then they were the leaders. The Jewish leaders in verse 41 to 43. It says, in the same way, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. They mocked him three ways. They said, 42, he saved others, but he can't save himself. One. Second one, he's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. And third one, he trusts in God. Let God come and rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. They mocked his claims to be savior. They mocked his claims to be king. And they mocked his faithfulness, his trust in God. Where are all your powers now? You can hear them say. But it's not even, that's not the worst. The third one, right, is the rebels. Now, depending on what, what day of the week you catch me, or actually what year, I'm an Arsenal fan. <laughs> but I remember recent, this year, this year, because as we kind of know, things are not very well in Arsenal world. <laughs> but I remember this year, I can't remember, who was it that beat us? It wasn't, I think, it was, no, not Leicester, it was, um, was it Southampton? Or Watford, I can't quite remember. I think it was Watford last year. It beat us 3 0. And one of their players, Troy Dini, said, Arsenal are soft. Ah, God. See, if a Manchester United or a Manchester City fan comes and mocks you, you understand, right? We are, is we, we, you know, you win, we are contemporaries. If your contemporary mocks you, you say, okay, we, we, we won, you won, we won FA Cup, you know, that kind of thing. If your contemporaries are mocking you, it's bad, but it is okay. What Ford? <laughs> eh? No, no, stop that. We are. We are going to, don't mock a person when they are down. That's what, that's what this sermon is about. He's a Manchester United fan. Depraved human being. All right. What for they are now mocking us? Ah! I left. I said, Kai, you see, you see what I said? Look at what you have caused. Now they feel like they can talk to us. The third group of people that were now mocking, even the people that were crucified next to him. They started to hurl insults at him. Even the rebels, it says, verse 44, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults. You know it's very, you have come very low when criminals also begin to mock you. Now, the question is, ah, you know those people, I would never have done it. I would never have done it. Because I, as a Christian, I would never have done it. Well, actually, we do the same. All we see on this is a graffiti 
probably in the third century. That's as the latest. Third century is 300 years after Christ. So that we're talking about 1,700 to 1,800 years um, ago. Now you can see a clearer picture of what is there on it. And it's called Alexamenos' graffiti or whatever. And what you see there is somebody who has carved out in the world, he's making fun of a Christian called Alexaminos. And what he inscribes there in Greek is Alexaminos worships his God. And who is his God? His God is a donkey. A donkey, a man with a donkey with his head on a cross. This is 300 years after. The concept of worshiping someone who was crucified has never made sense in the first century, in the third century, and better in the 21st century. And you may say, no, 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 I'm not like that. Well, let me ask you. I will never mock Jesus Christ. If any of our leaders or your leader or your boss was being mocked, how, especially if you know that he shouldn't be mocked about that thing, how do you want him to react? If any of us was being mocked, how do you want to react? Let's say you entered into a company and, you know, it's not one of the best companies. You had the first class, but times are hard. People are not, you know, they're not hiring. And then eventually you go into this company. Almost everybody there is a 2 two, third class. And then at one point you don't do something well. They now say, look at you. What do you even know, self? I'm sure in school you didn't know anything. I'm sure here also you don't know anything. What is the response that you have? Say, ah, it's not your fault. You don't know who I am. I finished with the first class. Is it because I'm here working with you low, low lives? I'm waiting till I leave this place. Most of us, when we know who we are, and people try to talk to us anyhow, the negotiated response is, don't allow anybody to treat you like trash. We show in that way that we will have been one of the mockers, the passers-by, or the criminals, or the leaders. Or even today, Jesus has commanded us, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But we know now, when we disobey, there's always grace. Jesus doesn't punish us because we serve a weak Savior. Do you know what you're saying? You are mocking his reluctance to show his strength just as he did on the cross. I can't forget when this story was first read to me as I was a kid in Sunday school. And when they were mocking him, I will not lie to you. I was wondering, why won't he come down? Just show them, because this is the same Jesus that walked on water, the same Jesus that healed. I knew what he could do, but why is he staying there? I couldn't understand it. Because might is always right. But what did Jesus do? Notice, while all the mockers were mocking him, he kept quiet. Was that keeping quiet a show of weakness? No. It was an absolute display of strength. And we'll get to that later. But can I say this? When we rear ourselves, when we wear our children in a state of, mock, of mockery, 
that is with the character of mockery. Whenever you see people are down, especially the people that looked at you in a particular way, you know, some people are waiting for them to get this next contract, to pass this next exam, to get to this next position, so that I can show my enemies. They mocked me, now it's my own turn to mock them. Do you remember when you spoke to me anyhow? Uh -huh. Now there's a new sheriff in town. When a people, a community, a nation, a world show this kind of character, that is a nation that is ripe for judgment. Verse 45, for noon, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. 3 p.m., darkness. The Jews would have understood that because the book of Amos tells us in Amos chapter 8, verse 9, in that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Verse 10, because of that, I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. It was a dark day. The display of their mockery to the innocent son of God was a reflection of the darkness that was in that community, and so darkness came all over the land. They mocked him because they thought that him being on the cross meant that he deserved to be there. And that's why they were wrong. But why were they right? Now, you and I need to ask that question. Let's not just throw it there. It's worth asking if truly, as we read the whole book of Matthew, if truly Jesus was the Son of God who did all those miracles, then why did he not come down? Why should he be taunted by mere mortals? Telling him what, how he should behave. Why didn't he come down? If you're growing up in late 80s and early 90s, there was no more important show, TV show, for black people than The Cosby Show. Right? The Cosby Show. It lifted our morale and, you know, it showed you that black people were not only just people that did drugs and whatever. A black person, father could be a, a doctor, the monk could be a lawyer, and you know. But if we're also growing up in that same time, I don't want to say more important, but there was no more watched American movie by black people than which one? Coming to America. Coming to America. You remember that film? Yeah. Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy was the son of the king, King Joffrey Joffa, the ruler of Zamunda. <laughs> and there was a time, it was his 21st birthday, and Hakim was not happy. He wasn't happy. And the parents, they had this long dining table. He was at the end because the prince stays there. And the parents, both of them were like, there's something wrong with this boy. And they were both, you know, wondering. So eventually, they get on talking. And so he eventually comes to sit down with them. And he said, what's going on? What's wrong? He said, um, he's, not, he's not on the 21st birthday because they've said on the 21st birthday, he's meant to get married. So eventually it gets to the point. I don't, okay, let me speak like Ed Murphy. I am a man. I know I want a woman to marry me for who I am, uh, for what I am, not for 
who I am. And the father said, James L. Jones says, and who are you? And he says, I am a man who has never tied his own shoelaces before. He said, wrong. You're a prince who has never tied his own shoes. We won't put that part. Eventually, Hakim gets his way. He travels to America because he wants to discover a queen in Queens. And if you have been to New York, and you know what Queens is about, you don't really find Queens there, but we'll put that aside. So eventually, he says he wants to live like a common man. He starts to work in a shop, um, 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 an eatery that is not really McDonald's. It's called McDonald's. He's working for this black man that makes it, comes good. And eventually, after a while, he's asking for, his servant keeps asking for money. That, show, that gives sign to the people back in the kingdom. All is not right. So King Joffrey Joffa shows up. And eventually, he walks into a place. They are looking for his son. And then, you know, when he goes to the house, he now goes and he sees, what is this? A picture. Employee of the month. And he goes and what is that? He said, oh, it's the place he works. My son works? <laughs> Why? Because everybody understood that the son of a king does not work. And every Jew understood that the son of God does not die on a cross. So the question is, if he truly is the son of God, why is he there? Because if you ask the Jews, they will tell you that God was cursing him, and they were spectacularly right. Isaiah 53 says, 53 verse 10 said, it pleased the Lord to what? Crush him. God was punishing him. They were right. He was being cursed for uh, God. In fact, when they were taunting him like the leaders were saying, if you are the son of God, come down. If you are the son of God, save yourself. Unfortunately, they didn't understand that they were speaking like Satan. Satan in that same book, Matthew, in chapter 4, verse 3, says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell the stones to, to turn into bread because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. Verse 6 says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw down yourself, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift up your hands, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You see, what the same thing that Satan was saying, they too were saying, save yourself. But he stayed. Why? The point, the reason he stayed, is there for us in verse 50 and 51. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was turned into two from top to bottom. So on the one hand, he was quiet before the people. But on the second hand, he cried out first to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now he cried out and he gave up his spirit. Now, what does the tearing of the temple mean? Now, it could mean two things. The temple was the centerpiece of the whole of Israel. It was the meeting place between them and God. You also had priests who were the, meeting, the mediators, that is, they were the human beings that, met, uh, that, um, that mediated between God and the Jewish people. So if the curtain's temple was torn in two, it could signal that God had left the temple and he had made temple worship in Israel to become obsolete. That's one way. 
The second way is that in that temple, you had a court, and then in that court, you had this building, and in that building, once you enter that building, you had a place called the holy place, and after the holy place, in that same building, there was another curtain that was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in that holy of holies, you had an ark, a box, and then you had a mercy seat. And it was there that God resided in the most holy place. But that place was only open to one person on one day of the year, the high priest. So it could signal as well that the opening of the curtain was an open access to relationship with God without the high priest that he normally had. So the temple was, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It could signify judgment or it could signify open access to God. To which, and if I ask you what is the answer, which one of them is it? Ah, the answer is both, isn't it? Because Jesus' death, on a day that God was judging, was meant to judge the nation, the people, he ended up judging Jesus Christ so that he would not have to judge the people, so that all those who believe in him could now have access to God. His judgment was for the mockers that were mocking him. See, when they said, he can't save others, but he, can't, he saved others, but he can't save himself, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. It was precisely by staying on the cross and not saving himself that he could save others. If you believed in a Jesus who came down from the cross, you will not escape God's judgment. But if you believe in a Jesus who receives God's judgment by staying on the cross on a very dark Friday, that dark Friday can become Good Friday for you. I don't think we have a better explanation of this than Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we now have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Will you draw near? Draw near. Don't stay away because Jesus was judged for you. That is why we call it Good Friday, even though there was a sham mockery, a, a, a sham a, a court, even though there was mockery, it is good for us while it wasn't good for him. The message of the cross is that if we would only just confess our sins, if we would only identify ourselves with the mockers and the scoffers, but also look at Jesus Christ, you can be saved. The message of the cross tells us this, we are great sinners, but Christ is a greater savior. The message of the cross tells us that though he was mocked, he was yet a king. Because he was only going to become the true king of the Jews first by being mocked for you and I. Will you stay or will you come to him? It says, let us draw near with full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience.
You see, Jesus first kept quiet when the people were mocking him. He kept quiet to the people. He cried out to God and then saved the people. He kept quiet. He cried out and then he saved. Why did he keep quiet? You know why? The people didn't define him. What they thought of him did not define him. He was secure. He didn't have to answer them that I am the son of God. He knew what God had called him to and therefore he couldn't be moved by their mockery. His identity was secure in God. If you're ever tempted and you are mocked by people, you can react in two ways. Especially when those people are wrong. Whether we're in school, whether at work, we can react by saying, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've achieved? That's one way. And that's the way our world will want us to react. But if you are in Christ and you are secure in your identity, you see the cross of Christ gives you a new identity. There are so many things trying to make you form your identity in this world. It could be, am I a boss? It could be, am I the best student in my class? It could be, am I a fantastic mother? All these things want to give us an identity, but there's only one identity you and I should have. That is this, that Christ died for me and he gave me a new name. If that is your most stable identity, when people mock you, like Jesus Christ, you will just dust it off. Because in Christ, we died to our sins. And now our lives are hidden with him. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos